Better Yet Podcast, I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet! It's a long-form interview podcast featuring musicians talking about influence, talking about writing, and talking about being around. Might have dug myself a bit of a hole here, starting out with the 100s with the insistence of saying the full number. I No 102s, 108s. No 111s. It's got to be 111, but it's not easy. But I got this thing with numbers where I I get real uptight about making sure that they're said properly. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know how to unbreak it. We got Bob Mould here up at the top doing Richard Thompson. It's a B-side from Black Sheets of Rain. One of my favorite parts of Bob Mould's book is when he puts out Workbook, his first solo record, someone says, this is great. Have you ever heard of Richard Thompson? Because you're kind of ripping him off. And then Bob says, oh, yeah, I am accidentally kind of ripping this guy off. And then he starts covering him. My other favorite part was the six months that Bob Mould, Bob Mould of Husker Du and Sugar, spent writing for World Championship Wrestling in the late 90s and if you look back at it you say that's amazing and then you look at wcw tv during the time that bob mold was on the writing staff and you say that was not the best output of your writing career bob love him though love him truly here we are episode 111 my goodness ben rudolph of Chew is on the show this week. Very excited to be sharing this interview today. One of my favorite LPs of 2018, Chew's Feeding Frenzy. A lot to talk about. Scary times out there. Register to vote, my friends, especially if you're in swing districts or swing states. Vote these motherfuckers out next month. It's been a difficult time to sit through I was thankful for a reason to celebrate this weekend. Two of my best friends were married. The Nuccios, Marcus and Delia, tied the knot this weekend. And I was honored. The privilege was mine to officiate the ceremony. First time I ever did that. It was such a humbling opportunity. I think I did a good job. I taped my notes Inside a copy of If You Give a Moose a Muffin, I led the ceremony off with a big, hey, all right. And, you know, I talked about two people I love and the love they have for each other, which I have always admired. I got us in and out of this thing in under 15 minutes. Could not be happier with the whole thing it was a wonderful evening so grateful to have been a part of it and so happy for two of my friends wishing all of the best to marcus and delia all right 
Ben Rudolph of Chew is on the show this week. Chew is a punishing hardcore band from Chicago, though its roots go back to Orlando, where Ben met his bandmates, John O'Garral and Russell Harrison. Ben has played and plays in a number of bands with each of these two, including the defunct house arrests and the still active knife hits and the great deceivers who we remember from episode 57 my interview with max green chew came after ben russ and jono had been settled in chicago and first was just an effort to start a punk band they'd bring in singer doris carroll into the fold and as things went they kind of just clicked a strong demo two splits with Penetrode and Rash, and now a debut LP. Feeding Frenzy, out now on Iron Lung Records. We talk about the crafting of this incredible LP. We talk about staying motivated, childhood. Lots of great stuff to talk about, so let's get to it. But we'll start with the song. This is the first track on Feeding Frenzy. This is Violation, followed by my interview with Ben Rudolph. Right when it switched over from. So you, were you in there with Vince? No. Oh, okay. I didn't actually know Vince uh-huh. until after I moved out. Oh, okay. Because he was living at Weenie Hut at the time. That's, that's right. That's right. Him. Weenie Hut, Margaritaville. Yeah. But it, so, so it was you and Jono then. Russell, yeah. and, Russell and Max were still here. And yeah. you and Jono come up and you decide the best time for us to come up is going to be the winter <laughs> of 2013. What could go wrong? Yeah, we were idiots. <laughs> I'm assuming you read that gym thing. <laughs> well, no, because Max told me oh, about he told that, you that too. too. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone we knew were like, you guys are fucking morons. Like, was it already like happening when we you knew there was a storm uh-huh and we we're like it'll be fine yeah what's the what's the worst snow? that could happen and it was like uh-huh it you know it's that polar vortex it's like it was in, it was insane well it's it, wild too when so you stupid right and and that happened like everywhere but it's wild like weather shit like that because i remember i was out uh visiting family out east and there was a show going on at the stone pony in asbury park and they were like there's a crazy like tropical storm that's happening like the town is blocked off and i was like it'll be fine and we're going down the sandy no you know what it might have been sandy i think that was the only like tropical storm to hit new jersey in a long time right and they got hit hard but it was everything was clear on the parkway Mm -hmm. until like a mile outside of asbury park and then it was just dead stop and it took us 45 minutes to get a mile and then we got off in asbury park and it was just like the whole town was underwater it was so messed up i had a i had i have a friend who owned a record store in ocean city new jersey and it oh okay it was destroyed oh that's so sad yeah 
We a lot of people don't realize how how horrible that hurricane was. Like it, it fucked shit up. Yeah, yeah, it really did. My my uncle was uh, he worked for Hess, uh, the gas company that's on the, out mm-hmm. on the East Coast, and we were down. Uh, we had like a gathering in Sarasota. My grandparents in Sarasota. I'm sure you've heard that one before I have. too. I have. Um, and he had to go. He he went up. He left the gathering to go up and like figure out how to get like gas to the tri-state area. That's awesome. It was insane too. Yeah. You th- you just think like, oh, this this dorky guy that I know, and then he's like, oh wow, he just like saved all these people yeah. by just getting them gas. So you, you need it then too because everyone's running on generators, right? But no, and you, <clears throat> you so you probably like deal with this like once a year, right? Be having people in Florida. Yeah, I mean, it's always sensationalized in the media right and i think that makes it worse because people tend to underestimate it because of that because you hear like last year i think matthew was the one that's gonna be the one and then i think um what was the one that came after that that was way worse the one that hit houston yeah and and hit puerto rico also Uh uh-huh uh, what, what was the name of that hurricane? Uh, Sandy. Sa- no. no. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, but yeah, it way, was, that, it was bad news like for in, sure. Especially in South Florida, who I knew, they're like, ah, Matthew wasn't shit. Right. Like, and then this one hit Miami really bad. And like, yeah. People I knew had a bunch of damage. So, I mean, it, you get used to it though. I mean, right. The first year that I lived in Florida, Charlie happened. Okay. And I was actually in England visiting my family. Um, you got family in England? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was born there. Oh, where? Uh, I was born in a town called Colchester. Okay. Which is essentially is a suburb of London at uh-huh. this point. Um, where about, how close is it to It's London? 45 minutes. Oh, okay. Like, by Wait. car. Oh, okay. Maybe maybe an hour by Are the you, So are your folks still there? My mom is still there. Oh, okay. My mom and my, uh, pretty much all everyone on her side of the family. My mom is English. Uh-huh. You don't have an accent? No. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. That little dig was in the the knife hits uh, band camp, losing the English accent. Oh, it says fading British accent. Right, fading British yeah. accent. It's pretty much faded at this point. Uh-huh. How how long did you live there? Um, I lived there until I was 13. Oh, okay. Well, 12, technically. I moved here on Halloween 2002. Oh, okay. And I was, I think, I, yeah, my I turned 13 three weeks later. Uh-huh. Something like that. When's your birthday? November 28th. November 24th. Pounded nice. Bullet. Sagittarius. That's right. So. Fire signs. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't fuck with me. <laughs> don't, uh, don't give me any reason to get upset with you or myself. Aren't we supposed to be like, you know, more like, just, you know, just I think it brush de- everything off. Well, I really think it depends on where you are yeah. in, in the, in the Sagittarius hole. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, Marcus Nuccio. I do. He's he's a Sagittarius, but he's like December seventh, eighth, and he's like whatever. That that dude is like. I think that Sagittarius, it's like the the drummer personified. You know, it's just the yeah, all right, cool. I'll yeah, vibe with that. It's. I think not m- most drummers I know don't have that that mentality. All right. Well, but I, I, I you you I played understand. with a lot more drummers than I, I have. Yeah. Uh huh. Drummers are usually more difficult. You think so? Yeah, they're the most difficult people. Maybe Marcus Sometimes. is just a gift. Yeah, I think. Yeah, there are certain certain drummers who I don't know. They like met, Ryan, Ryan from Meat Wave is kind of the same way of just like, yeah, uh huh, sure, that's I'll great. Do that, uh huh. Yeah. Well, Jono is Jono is like that to be fair as well. Yeah, our drummer. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um. So so what happened? Your so your mom stayed in England. Your folks split up. Yeah. Well, 
at that point, my uh, my dad had been over here for two years at that point. Um, What's he doing in Florida? That's where he's from. Oh, okay. Originally, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and he... He moved with my grandfather when he was a teenager, kind of following him around the world because my grandfather is part of like this sect of Messianic Judaism. Oh, okay. That's very evangelical, and they do a lot of mission work uh, uh-huh. in North Africa and uh, Israel and um, other parts. Of so, it's, it's, so it's Messianic Evangelical Judaism. Yeah, it's Messianic Judaism, so it's... It's Jews for Jesus, essentially. It's Jews who okay. accepted Jesus uh-huh. into their. Wasn't that their Christianity? It, it, it is, but they still like do all the Old Testament traditions and okay. customs and holidays. Yeah, uh, they still like have kiddush, which is like the the wine sacrament uh-huh. on Friday night. So it's all the Jewish customs, but also. Oh, by the way, we you know yeah. we accept him as the we're, we're down with him yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my grandfather kind of started his own organization, and my dad traveled around a lot with him. Lived in a bunch of different countries, and then he ended up in England uh, at some at the at the church where my mom and her mom also attended, but they were also Jewish and were also like in the Jews for Jesus thing, uh-huh. um, which was. My my grandma, from what I understand, is the first person on my mom's side of the family to accept Christ. So uh-huh. that, that caused some problems, I'm pretty sure, back sure. in the day. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like, <clears throat> no, that's like one of the things that you can't do. Pretty much. I mean, she also, she was the first person to marry a non-Jew. Uh-huh. So I think that caused some, some problems as yeah. well. But effectively, that's why they went to that church, because there were other... Jews for Jesus in this church, and that's where my my uh, grandfather ended up, and my mom's mom ended up setting them up because, like, oh, you need to find a Jewish girl. Well, I've got a Jewish daughter for you, so. right? And then, <clears throat> yeah, so <laughs> you find yourself a nice girl, yeah, pretty uh-huh. much, yeah, yeah. In, a, in a Cockney accent, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so what was your and and what did your dad and he just ended up like staying out there? He and... did. So they got married. I'm the oldest out of four. Uh-huh. Um, we moved around a lot. Um, my parents were on and off together throughout, you know, until the time when my they finally split up. Yeah. Uh, what prompted that pretty much is that they were kind of agreed to split up finally, and my dad just kind of came back to America. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know if there was really a conversation about it. He just came back here. Yeah. Uh, it also kind of tied in with my grandmother, my mom's side, or my dad's side being uh, ill with cancer or leukemia, something related to it. So he mm-hmm. just kind of came over here. And uh, and you met like his side of the family. I have. Uh-huh. I had, at that point, I had most of them. Yeah. We had come to visit Orlando once when I was. I think like six or seven. That has to be such a wild perception of, of America to have is that you show up in Orlando. Yeah. It was very weird. This is America. It was very weird. Yeah. I remember, I remember as a kid seeing lizards on the street and just Uh it like, yeah, right. Uh huh. (laughs) These are only in 
<laughs> so I, I don't want to. I don't want to paint like English stereotypes. But were you going to like like private schools and and that's just kind of like the vision that I have of, of England is you know um, you go with your with your tie and the the fat part is well, like all the way up at the top part of your chest. For sure. I mean, uh-huh. e- even public schools, you wear a tie. Yeah. Like every school in England wears ties. Uh-huh. Usually, it's actually if you don't if you wear plain clothes, it's a private school. Okay. Um, I. So I just went to normal public school. I went to a lot of them. I went to, I think, six elementary schools and five middle schools. Or I wouldn't have been called middle school there because it's, it's all, once you get to sixth grade, it's all one school. Right. And then you're you're with yeah. your form. Do they do that there? My my sister lives in Dublin. So you she, do, you, yeah, you, I just went to her high form, school you graduation. Until you go to until you go to high school. Oh, okay. And then those are the people that you're like, you know, you have lunch with and stuff. Right. Um. And like their version of homeroom. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it it was I mean, pretty. I, I don't. I wouldn't say typically English, just because of the my dad being American. Um, what did he do? <laughs> I still don't really know. <laughs> he's in. Uh, he's in. He's an adult s- job. He's in snake oil. I think. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I think so. That's uh, that's been a joke between the me and my... the the Rudolph Wonder Tonic. Yeah, I mean, instead of selling God, he's selling something else. Uh huh. Unsuccessfully. Um, Is he all right? Yeah, he's he's doing all right. Yeah, he's doing okay. You talk a lot. Um, we talk more than we used to. We that's talk, good. I talked to him two two days ago. Uh huh. Checked up on him. What What about your mom? She she's still over there. Yeah, she uh she's been remarried for well she's been with the same same dude for. I think 16 years now pretty uh-huh. much like she had just met him when i moved over here okay um and he's awesome right and he's pretty much for my younger brothers and sister he's more of their dad because they you know i was 12 there's a year and a half between my sister and i and then four and seven years between my younger brothers uh-huh. so to to them aunt is you know that's their dad yeah like, that's the dude who raised them pretty much so this <clears throat> there's it sounds like it's kind of a wild you know, kind of up and down, like for the first 12, yeah. 13, 14 years. Yeah. Is it just, is it just normal? Is that just how it is? For any, all English I, people? No, not yet. <laughs> I, I know that this is like a common yeah. thing in English, uh, you know, society for people to break up and get back together and, mm. and have kids that are spread out. No, I mean, like, you know, for you, for you, is it just like, well, this is kind of like how things are they are, I guess, between my folks, because that's yeah. like you know, that's the couple that you know kind of shows you how love and stability works, ideally. For sure, I yeah, it's it's definitely normal now. I I, <clears throat> I think it wasn't until I got older and kind of told people like stories about when I was younger. They're uh-huh. like, that all happened before you were thirteen, you right? Because you know we were homeless a couple of times and lived with. Family, friends, was always changing schools. A wow. lot, of, lot of, lot of stuff. Yeah. Um. So, I think it it seems normal now, and it definitely helped me to adapt to things quicker. Right. You can roll. With I it. can kind of just like, well, all right. I guess I'm here now. Yeah. Cool. Um. Was it? Did you have the choice to come live with your dad? Was it set yeah, out that way? It was. It was definitely. <clears throat> excuse me. Um. It was definitely my choice. I, when that all happened, my mom was in a really bad place mentally. Uh-huh. Uh, my parents are also very young. Yeah. My mom is turning 48 next month. How old are you? 28. 
Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, they were young, and um, <clears throat> she never worked when we were younger. Uh-huh. Um, it was very. I think my dad felt pressure from just his upbringing that you know the man is supposed to make the money, and right? Even though she should have had a job, it would have helped us a lot. If, you know, and she wanted to go out and work, and you know he was very much intent on her staying home, being you know mom and homemaker this has like death of a salesman like vibes oh, oh yeah for sure yeah. i think when i when i had to read that in school i was like oh that's just, oh this is, what's up yeah. Yeah. and they're jews too yeah 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 uh so so when they finally split up my mom was younger than i am now uh-huh. and she's has never had a job since she was she hasn't had a job since she was 17 and she right. has four kids uh-huh and she just kind of like she just kind of lost it. Oof, yeah. Uh, and you know, it was, it was a, it was a hard time. Like she wouldn't get out of bed and was very depressed. And, um, you know, we had a, luckily we had a lot of help. We had a lot of friends who would like, you know, help out with stuff. And, and I, I just started getting in a lot of trouble. That's yeah. pretty much what it was. Sure. And I just was like failing school. And, um, what were you, what were you doing? What were, just, just normal like hood rat shit. Yeah, know, like going out breaking bottles uh, just after like, curfew and yeah, and just a lot of vandalism, a lot of fights. Mm-hmm. Uh, just you know, we didn't live in a good neighborhood at the time, so I was kind of friends with some kids who were when yeah. we were all together. We were just like, what right. can we do? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, um, and I just I don't know. I had talked to my dad on the phone. He was like, you should just come here. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, I'm living in New York now. I met this new lady and uh-huh. set it up here. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. And uh, I think I decided like two months before. And then I just like packed a suitcase. and There you were. Mm-hmm. In New York. Yeah. New, new York, York City? New York City, yeah. Where in? Um, I kind of moved around a bunch. We stayed with his girlfriend for a while. And then we eventually got an apartment like east side like upper east side yeah like it was like 83rd and first and second okay yeah it was cool so, so wait, wait. that's that kind of a kind of bounced around there for a while too you're bouncing around all over the mm-hmm. place when you um when you come into school uh because what are you seventh grade or something mm-hmm. like that and you're just like yeah i'm from england hello like yeah. <laughs> how wh- what was that like? like uh well i didn't go to school for the first four months i lived in the u.s uh-huh um because well, that's great because you're you're getting in trouble all the time so yeah what, and then where, where better like, to live than right. just the the you know one of the largest cities in the world completely unsupervised uh, yeah a latchkey kid in, in, uh-huh. in manhattan it's wonderful <laughs> uh yeah i mean i my grandma was really sick at the time and my dad was I don't know what exactly he, who he was working for or what he was doing in New York, but he was doing better for himself than he had been. Yeah. And he was flying um, back and forth to Orlando fairly frequently. And I would go sometimes, and then other times I would stay. We had, like, he had, like, a this old hippie couple named Barbara and Arnie. This old, uh-huh. like, these old, like, hippie Jews that he was friends with. Yeah. And uh, I would, like, stay at their apartment, and they would, like, you, you know, just kind of look after me for a week or two. Right. They were they were great. Ah. Uh-huh. Um, just and, like, um, yeah, all right, I, just come home before the sun comes up. Yeah, all right. pr- pretty much. Yeah. And then the reason I didn't go to school is because, um, at the time my dad was still fairly religious. Uh-huh. Um, I guess a side note is a, a, the whole Jews for Jesus thing got dropped, uh, when I was around six. Okay. And we just 
they call it in Judaism, Baltashulas, where you like uh-huh. leave the faith and then come back, even though like your bloodline has remained the same, you like your traditions changed right. back. So uh, my dad was still fairly religious Jewish at that point and uh, was pretty intent on me going to a Jewish school, mm-hmm. uh, which I had been going to in London when we were living there because that's where I was living before I moved to New York. And uh problem was is because I was failing all of these, you know, like no one would accept, accept me. And also he was trying to get me a grant because he couldn't afford to send me anywhere. Uh-huh. So basically it was like, you know, which school will accept my kid on a grant because he needs a Jewish education. Right. He's, his, his GPA is a 1.3. I I, yeah, I was, so, uh-huh. I was so behind and everything. And um, so it was basically like, from what I understand, was kind of like working on what school would accept me. And I basically like, <laughs> I act recently met someone in New York when I was there a couple of weeks ago. Um, she's um, Russian, Armenian, Jewish. And she, mm-hmm. like, I was telling her about the school that I went to. She's like, oh, I know all those kids. Because they're yeah. all, like, they're all, like, you know, doing calculus in seventh grade. Uh-huh. And I, like, can barely yeah. do a times table at the wow. time. So, I like, part of the, the deal was I had to do, like, fourth grade math, I think, when I was there. Uh-huh. But I got in, I eventually went to this, started this school in, like, January, February uh, of... Yeah, but still, you're there. doing. It's you ever see yeah. the Simpsons where they they move to the they move to like the pristine, like beautiful new town, and then Bart gets placed in remedials because he never <laughs> yeah. learned cursive, yeah. and that's yeah. What a funny thing to be placed right. in remedials for. <laughs> so you never learned cursive. Well, I know hell, damn. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, the funny thing is, the school I went to in London was a fairly, in comparison to this, like very, you know, upper class liberal. New York Russian Jewish school right was the one I went to in England was very orthodox and very like Jewish studies focused like half the day the school day was like nine and a half hours yeah um and oh that would have done you a lot of well good. we just we did right. we I as far as the he, the the Jewish stuff I was like uh-huh. throw on that just because that just drilled into your head yeah you know, you're like yeah, you're yeah praying yeah. three times a day especially uh-huh. once you are getting ready to get bar mitzvah and stuff yeah. so I like I could read hebrew better than everyone right but i didn't didn't understand half where, of it where does all of that stuff sit for you now like being uh you know it's removed inter- from it a little it's bit it's interesting because I, I i guess i don't think about it a lot until um i kind of talk to my friends who you know who stayed there and they're all very they all, even even if they were straying when they were younger they all kind of like figured it out and just kind of became who you know, they were kind of bred to be, they're uh-huh. all right. They're all upper middle class. They all have good jobs and they all have four kids and you know, they're doing the thing. They love Israel a lot, which is usually yeah, sure. a contentious uh-huh. topic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Stay over there with that. Just stay there. Uh, but it's, 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 it's different. Cause I, for, it's interesting for me, like had I've stayed there, I don't know where I'd be now because my mom at the time we were living in, uh, Northwest London. Uh huh which is where the school I went to was. And then when I moved, she moved to East London, where there's also a large Jewish community. Um, and it's closer to where she's from and like where her family has always been from as far as living in England. Um, but I would have changed schools, made different friends. And it's a, it's a, that school is a little bit less religious, and that's where my siblings end up going. So it's interesting to think about like what, you know, where I would have ended up if I would have stayed there. You right. Because I, right. I probably would still be rolling the same crew, uh-huh. you know, and it's just interesting. I'm still, you know, good terms with some of them. We 
catch up. I have one friend who lives in New York now and he comes to see like my bands play and we're there and it's, it's kind right. of a trip. Cause you know, I only, I know him from like, from, right. he, from Hebrew school, you know? <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. Sure. It's, it's interesting, but I mean, I like, as I've got older, I think it's something that I didn't identify with for a long time. And now it's, it's pretty integral to like, who I am. Cause I think it, it was, in, it was important. Well, that's, that's an identity forming time. Were you exposed to music? Like, was your dad playing music when you were growing up? I mean, my, my dad, like my dad, well, I know this cause I've listened to other podcasts you've done, but I know yeah. you love wrestling uh-huh. and yeah, my dad also loves wrestling. And, oh, like, okay. and part of that onto my brothers and I, uh-huh. and he's, you know, wrestling is also immediately tied with butt rock and new metal. Oh yeah. And my for dad sure. loves all that shit. Uh-huh. Like, he lo- <laughs> I mean, he loves like, I think drowning pool. Yeah. Limp he was, Bizkit, yeah. Yeah. He, I, I don't think he liked Limp Bizkit as much, but like one band we still relate on, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Is System of a Down. Yeah. That was like our mutual favorite band together for a long time. And yeah. I, like, I still love that band. Till the well, day. there's a lot to latch on to with that yeah. band because they were doing some wild shit mm-hmm. on top of, you know, doing like the, the rap rock yeah. thing. Um, and like he was like, he loved like Rage Against the Machine and Tool and, you know, just stuff like that. Yeah. His favorite band is Rush. Uh-huh. So he, he loves like, he loves like. Big stuff. He loves proggy guitar music. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of, I feel like it's pretty normal. You know, I like just heard of whatever was on when I was living in England, uh-huh. I had my group of friends that I had at the school I went to, we were all just like eating up whatever was on MTV two, you know? Yeah. And it was, it, MTV two was fucking the best yeah. during that time. And then Fuse came along Uh huh. or it's called much music at first. And I remember when, right. like one of my friends had cable and we just, after school, just, just watched whatever, like, yeah. Steven's Untitled Rock Show. Yeah. Like, that shit. I didn't see yeah. that. I didn't see that until I moved to the States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember getting that. That was uh, we when we moved to Chicago, we got, like, a like a satellite package TV, and it was like, oh, wow, MTV2. Yeah. And then Fuse, and it was like, MTV2 was great until, like, about 2002 when they just started putting the MTV content mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, and then Fuse all, was like, yeah. I remember Steven was like. MTV2 was real world all day. Right. Yeah. They just stopped showing music videos. But I remember having so much respect because Steven's Untitled Rock Show, he was like, you guys got to see this video. It's by this band. None of you have ever heard of them, except for maybe two of you. I was one of them. Like, <laughs> they're called Lifetime, and they have a oh, new wow. record out. Check this video. Which, was it, it was the self-titled for, record? It was for the self-titled record. Well, I was singing the song of that the other day. It was uh, Monday morning. Airport. Yeah. Oh, she keep casting. in the morning. Fucking best band. I, they made I, a shitty music video that was on. That record is good, uh-huh. too. Oh, it's so good. Also, this is, reminds me of something else that's funny. The first time I heard Tenement, uh-huh. I was like, this sounds like Lifetime. A little bit. It does kind of. And I want, I told one of my friends, he's like, dude, this sounds like Lifetime. It's like, you hate Lifetime. And he's like, it does not sound like, I was like, it kind of sounds like Lifetime. Vocally, maybe. Yeah. Some, but, of the, some of the chord changes. Yeah. Danny Man writes cool, cool guitar oh, he parts, writes, even if they're poppy. Dude, I love, I love fucking Dan Yemen because he makes, he makes Jersey's Best Dancers. That band breaks up and then he's got that Kid Dynamite record mm-hmm. ready within a year. I, and Kid Dynamite never really happened for me. I like they're the band that they're, I skipped. Like I liked Paint It Black, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and then but Kid and Lifetime I loved, but yeah, Kid Dynamite just didn't. I, didn't I love I love listening to Kid Dynamite much more passively than I listen to Lifetime. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's good like 
background party music maybe. when did you when did you start wanting to play when were you starting to get interested in that side of things um well we had a keyboard in my house uh or one of the houses i lived in in probably when i was like fourth grade and i used to just kind of dabble around on that uh uh-huh. kind of spend hours just fucking around with it yeah um you have any then, instruction or anything or are you just like boom, no just boom okay or like I would <clears throat> try and like try and mimic a song that I heard or something like that. Yeah. Um, or like just a vocal melody to it. Uh-huh. And then uh, I actually that same year the school that I went to at the time, well, like a lot of schools in England still do have music classes, which uh-huh. is, I know is a radical idea. Yeah. <laughs> but you know they you know, teaching you how to play Odes of Joy and stuff on the piano. Right. And, um, so that was kind of they gave us recorders over here. We had recorders too. Yeah. We had recorders too. <laughs> um, but that I I remember like enjoying it a lot yeah um but it's and then anytime you know we would go to someone's house and there would be like a stringed instrument i just want to like try and play it right um and then i think when i first wanted to play guitar like for real for real like when i was like i want to play guitars i heard nirvana i was like i have to play guitar Uh uh-huh uh-huh and i was like i think that was, was probably 10 or 11 when i first like heard smells like teen spirit and i was just like my mom was like oh i remember this song it's great <laughs> i was like yeah it's, it's, it's so good you understand this dude yeah and he's like you just latch on to that guy yeah. especially being 10 or 11 and especially because it doesn't it's the, that i think they were the only band who wasn't new mm-hmm. that was still played on mtv too they right were still playing those videos you know? yeah um so that i think that's like what made me want to play guitar and then uh, when I moved here, I had my bar mitzvah, like, I th- you know, it was like three weeks, three and a half weeks of living here. Uh-huh. And uh, I got a guitar, a c- acoustic guitar for my bar mitzvah. That's great. Mm-hmm. And then... That's- you, so you got bar mitzvah when you were... We, I know we spent a lot of time here, uh, but three, yeah, yeah. like, literally, like, within a few weeks of coming here? Yeah, and it was... <laughs> it was how are you, I'm sorry, was- how are you How are you taking all of this? Because you, you seem to have, like, you know, you're good. You're, you yeah. roll with it and shit like that. Yeah. But when you're when you're 13, like, that's that's just a... That's I, a tough I, time I, to be rolling I around. I wasn't aware you know? of anything. Like, uh-huh. I, I don't know. It's hard to, like, try and look back and be like, I wonder how I was feeling back then. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't... I just knew that it was like, oh, I guess this is weird. I live here now, you know? And yeah. I, like, used to, at the time, um, I was very solitary, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed being alone, and I didn't really have any issues with it. And I don't know, it, it didn't really hit me until I got older. I was like, that's, yeah, that was crazy. I used to just right. walk around New York by myself. Uh-huh. You know? And yeah. I mean, in London, too. You know, my friends and I used to just ride the train until four in the morning when we were 11. Uh-huh. You know? So, I don't know. It's, it's never really thought about it too much, I guess. But I mean, I feel like when you're used to moving around a lot, it's like, what good's that going to do? You know, you have to adapt mm-hmm. and you have to learn how and to I do think, that. And I think eventually it, it, it is part of my personality now. Yeah. Like I sure. find it easier to talk to people, especially you know what then when i first moved here because i was really shy um uh-huh. and that the, my bar mitzvah was ex- especially strange because at first i was planning on having it in england and uh one of my friend's dad was my was my teacher um and he was trying to get me to like actually learn the notes uh-huh. um and i s- spent like six months with him learning although i never actually learned the notes so i just mim- he had a tape 
made me a cassette tape. Okay. And I was supposed, he gave me like, because in the Torah, there's no, there's no vowels and, and then there aren't any notes written for mm-hmm. how you sing it. So he had made tapes for me and he wanted me, to, he felt it was important that I learn. So you could follow the melody. So I, and so I would actually do it again, you know, uh-huh. but I, instead I just mimicked the entire thing from memory. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, but it was, it was just extra awkward because I didn't know anyone in the, in the, uh, synagogue that where I ended up being Burmesford and it was yeah. on top of already, you know, being 13 and every, everyone is always nervous because uh-huh. in front of the whole congregation and your voice right. is yeah, cracking. Yeah, yeah. And, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> so yeah, that, that was, guitar probably, I mean, you talk about like a solitary, uh, uh companion. Yeah. Yeah. You it just, was, I mean, I get in on that. Right. And I think my, my dad like kind of knew how to play a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, open chords and whatnot. Sure. He kind of showed me like C and G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh-huh. I just kind of went from there. So you, you're <clears throat> eventually you're down in you're down in Orlando. The next year. I lived in New York for a year. Right. And then as I mentioned earlier, when I was coming back after Hurricane Charlie had happened, mm-hmm. I was <clears throat> actually in England a week long, longer because the flights got grounded. Oh, okay. Um, and that's, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I was, the next year I was in Orlando and we were living um, <clears throat> at my grandma's old house. She had since passed away. Uh-huh. And, uh, well, had she passed away yet? Somewhere around there. It was either right when we got there or just before. In Orlando? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I don't really remember why we went back there. I think it was, I think my dad thought he was going to get like a piece of the pie. My grandma owned a restaurant that was. Oh, okay. Um, pretty it was it was an Orlando staple. It was there for a long time. Wow. Um, she, and you know, she's a workaholic, and it was uh, kind of when she died, the restaurant went under. With sure. Her. Um, so I, I don't know exactly why we moved back there, but uh-huh. um, but like Orlando's kind of you're able to put roots down there, mm-hmm. and you stay there for for a while. You're starting your first bands there. Mm-hmm. We got Great Deceivers and. House arrest, knife hit starts there too, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're uh, what was the other one? Con, con, yeah. So all of the, all of these things are happening like what end of high school after high school you start playing and all um, of those. I I was in a my first band that I played a show with was in ninth grade. Uh huh. Um, well, I guess I had I had like some friends in eighth grade that I would jam with, and we were that's when I was kind of like. First, still liking new metal and stuff, but yeah. kind of getting past it. Uh huh. Um, and we would just kind of, you know, drop tune the guitar, and my friend Charles would play drums, and I would just be like, like you know. And my other friend, my other friend would kind of just do some rapping over it or something. Right. And then, what do you find in when you're like getting out of new metal? When you're getting like, like, who are some of your first hardcore bands? Well, I think before that, it was when we. My dad and I were living with my uncle when mm-hmm. we first moved to Orlando for yeah. a couple months. And uh, he had all these cassette tapes in his living room. I was going through them, and I just, like saw Black Sabbath. I was like, oh, I've heard I've heard, uh, heard, uh, Iron Man before. I'm giving this uh-huh. a spin. I was paranoid. Right. And I was just like, that was, yeah, that was it. For sure. Yeah. And then I just, he had all this, he had like Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, classic rock. And that was, right. yeah, that, yeah. I mean, Sabbath is like that. I, I, and then my uncle, uh, for that, my 14th birthday bought me one of those like little, like $75 Ibanez flying V guitars with the 
the, oh, the practice yeah. amp. Uh-huh. And I learned how to play almost every riff on Paranoid. Fuck. Yes. Yeah, and that's like, and you know, you, those amps had distortion on them too, so uh huh. like, yes. To just kick it up. Yeah. And yeah, you're finding that. Yeah, and then that, and like, I think I was, I was, I really like Nirvana still, and then I remember reading about like oh like what what bands were they listening to you know uh-huh. pretty i feel like it's pretty like generic story at this yeah, point yeah, where it's yeah. like oh who are the stooges mm-hmm. you know who are the pixies right like, you just like what you just like, like work yeah. up you just, oh, and you then know, but then dinosaur jr was like oh my god dinosaur uh-huh. jr holy yeah. shit you know because dinosaur does fucking those are hardcore kids yeah and they've got pop things that, mm-hmm. that they're into <laughs> oh shit that sprayed a little bit <laughs> sorry about that um but yeah, so all all of this is opening up, and then mm. um, and you have is there and there's a scene going on in Orlando, right? Like yeah. people are playing playing music, yeah. And you're meeting you're meeting Max and Russ and Jono, like all meet, those people I didn't from meet, around. I didn't there. meet Russ and well, I didn't become friends with Russell until I was 19. Uh huh. He definitely was in a different crowd of people uh-huh. and i think he probably thought we were idiots where were you and where well, was Ru- he russell's also four years older uh-huh um and he, he definitely thought you were idiots yeah no he did de- uh-huh. and also he just he was definitely much as far as when we were in high school i mean i was aware of like him and his friend group but they were definitely the more like kind of out there artsy indie kids uh-huh. russell had a show on um wprk which is the rollins college radio uh-huh. and uh, another friend that i met um his name's manny and he's I mean, he's getting, he's close to 40 now, but he was, I met him when I was 17 and we became really good friends and he was just spoon feeding me records. Yeah. Um, and I met him through another friend of mine who was also a bit older, who, you know, worked at a bar close to the restaurant that I worked at in high school. And, um, we're just kind of mutual friends with people. I I met, I met Max in ninth grade and then my friend Ant. Uh Uh, I also met him in ninth grade and him and I had a punk band. We'd, it took right, us about right. four months to become friends. Uh-huh. And then, you know, it was, it was like, oh, do you like Bad Brains? Yeah, I like Bad Brains. And he's like, have you ever heard of the Casualties? I was like, no. No. And then he's like, oh, well, what about Rant? Well, not right. Rancid, They're uh, kind of like Bad Brains. Yeah. But to me, they're exactly like Bad Brains. Yeah. And then he's like showing me like all this like punk that's happened. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, like anti-flag and like yeah, stuff like sure. that. And that was sh- the time. Strike right? Anywhere. Right, like all yeah, these yeah. like kind of Warped Tourish bands. Uh-huh. And that I didn't really, I mean, I, I guess I was kind of aware of that stuff, but not really um and then that's kind of how we started we had a band and played one show at like the right. back of a barber shop <laughs> and then there were these older kids that who went to the same high school um who like worked at Moe's down the street mm-hmm. and they were all like you know like the real punks quote unquote right and they were they had a band called um well at the time i think they were in a band called black block and that was um my friend jake he was he's two or th- three years older than me um and he is in knife fits and con. Oh, okay. And we kind of didn't really become like actually friends with them until we were a little bit older. Uh huh. Um, cause we were in, you know, ninth grade. These, these right, kids right, were right. either already out of high school or like just about to finish. Sure. So, sure. So when you got, um, what does it go? Does it go con, con and house arrest are kind of, you know, happening around the same time. Great deceiver is happening around the same time as that. I was in a band called time to die uh-huh. with Max and Ant. Oh, okay. That was like my first, band that did stuff yeah and we played a lot of there's a lot of hardcore shows in orlando mm-hmm. like, there was always kind of like the weird indie artsy scene right um 
and then there was a lot of like youth crew hardcore at the time there was this band called make or break do you ever hear them no no they were around um we used to go see their shows all the time there was another band mm-hmm. called nervous breakdown it was like super it was like tougher american nightmare yeah kind of sounding stuff sure and that's like sort of that amazing core sort of yeah thing. right yeah. so we started playing a lot of those shows but also doing like kind of playing like the there were also like our other friends who I mentioned before who we weren't quite yeah, friends yet. Right. There was kind of beef in those scenes too because uh-huh. the hardcore kids There's always were fucking beef and hardcore. Well, this was warranted looking back on it because oh, yeah. the kids, the hardcore kids were dumb. Uh huh. And like it was just violent and gratuitous. Right. And macho. It was, and yes, yeah, it's it just and like we got kind of wrapped up in it for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was fun, but it, I think eventually there was kind of a crossover with those other friends. Um, anyway, so we, we kind of gelled with them, started playing more of our own shows. There was uh-huh. a, it kind of tied in with this place called hoops where it, it was a bar, but like anyone could drink there. Right. Like they didn't card anyone. I worked uh-huh. there when I was 19. They thought I was 23. <laughs> and so did John. You told them so. Yeah. And like, you know that it was just like this weird time where it was like, mm-hmm. it was, it was, a big space you could have diy shows there and like right. everyone who was kind of friends already all of a sudden was friends and starting bands yeah so there was like a and this was also around the time when a lot of us were doing food not bombs too and that's how we kind of oh, all sure. met each other yeah um and i had i had gone to two other high schools too so i had met like some of the other people that we eventually became better uh-huh. friends with going to other high schools and then time so and i broke you, up right we because our drummer was flaky and I mean, he was, he was good for when we were in the band, but he wasn't uh-huh. really serious about right. it. And then that's when we decided to play, to do night fits, which eventually just the, when we started, we were like a cover band of those time to die songs, uh-huh. like with, diff- <laughs> I, with different people. Right. Um, and then, and then, uh, great deceivers is like kind of a separate thing, but like I, out of all of these is, is great deceivers the only one that did, uh, much touring? No. Um, so Great Deceivers, I've been in since I was 18, which is insane. Uh-huh. But uh, Khan was actually a pretty well-established band when I joined. Oh, okay. Um, they have a really awesome first record that I'm not on, and it's fucking incredible. Uh-huh. It's I listened to the one that you were on, and I was pretty fucking into it. Thank you. Yeah, I it's it's I listened to it uh, six or seven months ago. I was showing it to someone. Uh-huh. And uh, it was, it's weird because it doesn't feel like it was eight years ago. When we were right. Playing. Yeah. Um, Because I had expressed interest when my other band was breaking up. I was like, my my friend Andrew was a guitar player. And I was like, they were always cycling through singers. Mm -hmm. I was like, if you guys ever need a singer, like, I'll I'll try it out, I guess. And uh, Andrew was like, yeah, fuck yeah. You want to do it? Yeah, cool. And it kind of just got thrown into it. And it's it's unfortunate because they were such a good band and so talented, but no one could wrangle everyone and like kind of, uh-huh. get shit done right you know they were on a, a decent label they had good distribution they were somewhat well known they had done tours before that mm-hmm. um and it was you know we when i joined the band the goal was to like all right let's let's do this you know um and then which is kind of like the goal of every band unless it's members of people who are in bands yeah right people who are already like just don't uh-huh. really have to, to i want to i need to start a band that doesn't like do anything yeah yeah <laughs> It's not, it's, I've been in those bands too where it's just for fun. Yeah. And that's great. Um, yeah. 
but you're kind, are you kind of in it like just you, you hear that energy you feel that and you're like yeah that's, that's what i want to do yeah, too. Not, i, I mean i love work i loved i love their band too yeah like, i you know they were they were, they were amazing uh-huh. um and then like when we were first becoming friends with those older kids it the, our jake and jono jono was 15 when he plays drums in this band called republic horse uh-huh with all these other kids who were a little bit older and kind of the ones who were kind of like our like they were like oh we just heard infest for the first time right you guys should hear infest uh-huh. too you know and because like, like this yeah and then you know everyone was kind of like just like just trying to do the power violence thing and right. condom republic corpse at least when i was in you know 16 they were like the bands locally yeah totally and um so was was like florida because florida's kind of it's a hot market right now as far mm-hmm. as hardcore goes yeah. especially like south florida yeah um yeah. was it you know were you feeling like i guess it's kind of hard when it's you know you're in your first scene to understand if this is like you know oh man it's like really popping down here but was was there a lot of like mixing of the water were you like going down south or were people from south florida coming up to you were yeah. you going up to tallahassee and not tallahassee as much until state. we were older i know that right but tampa i i bought a car when i was 16 uh-huh um and it was it was a jeep that i bought off a friend of mine um and as soon as i got it well, we had another friend who had a car before that we would just drive to local gigs. But as soon as I got this car, I was like, all right, there's a show in Tampa. We're yeah, doing it. let's go. There's a go. show in Miami. There's a show in Jacksonville. Uh-huh. And then I bought a, like a really shitty van for like 600 bucks also when I was 16. So I owned these like two really shitty vehicles. Uh-huh. And that's when we were like, cool, now we can play out of town shows. We can bring our own gear. So we we would go play in Miami or and we'd go all over Florida, mm-hmm. um, especially when we were kind of playing the more like you know, capital H hardcore shows. Yeah, sure. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think the first tour that we did, I think I just turned 18. I think Max was still 17. Uh-huh. Um, and then, yeah, we went, did the East coast, you know, try to book it on MySpace. Uh, and I think we ended up playing three shows in nine days. Three shows in nine days. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty sounds, good. It's pretty good pretty for a first one. Yeah. 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 We had a couple of friends in Philly and stuff. Uh-huh. And we had a show there. We had a show in Boston. Right. Um, and then we also did two East Coast tours within two weeks of each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're back. We didn't have a show here the first time. But yeah. we uh, slept in that parking lot because we were tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It was ridiculous. So we did We did, We did. did a lot. Um I think it wasn't until there was that band Time to Die that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to see Ceremony one time. What what year are you talking? Two thousand and seven. Oh, okay. Two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah. Just, this is this is early. This is when they were fucking heavy. Yeah, and uh, this is before because they just heard they were still, for the first time. Yeah, too. they were still touring on uh-huh. Violence, Violence or whatever. Uh-huh. You know, we loved them, and also. It, and that was kind of at that point the extent of what I knew. Like, uh, that's why I didn't know there was like any other like punk deeper than that. You know? Yeah, sure. Um, as far as current stuff, and um, we kind of met them at the show, and then asked asked if they needed a place to stay. They ended up staying at my friend Ant's house, who his mom was awesome. She was just like, right. You know, I feel like every group of friends has the mom who like keeps yeah, it alive for you know? sure. <laughs> and it's she's she's wonderful, and she she I think she was just you know very typically happy that she knew where we were and right yeah didn't yeah. care we were smoking pot in the backyard cause uh-huh. as long as we, you're in the backyard yeah smoking that pot. and then we had so they they came over and stayed and we had a great time with them and, uh-huh. um i ended up like getting in their van the next day to go to atlanta yeah um 
and just kind of like took the Greyhound bus back. And then they're like, yeah, next time we come to the South, you guys should do some shows with us. We're like, really? Uh-huh. And then they, yeah, we did, uh, I think like a six day tour with them mm-hmm. in very weird parts of the South. Yeah. Um, were they popping back then? Oh, or yeah, people yeah. were coming around for yeah, them and, early on? Yeah, it was, insa- yeah. It was insane. Uh-huh. And we had, I think we had like 12 copies of our demo CD for that tour and like a shirt that the print was accidentally too small. So it was like, uh-huh. it was, you know, like five <laughs> inches wide on a, on a shirt. It Meanwhile, was, they've already got that brand fucking yeah. established. <laughs> yeah. It just, it was just, we, we clearly didn't know what we were doing and it was uh-huh. a great time. Yeah. And the fact that we were getting paid a hundred dollars every night was like, Oh my God, yeah. this is insane. We have gas money. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And food too. So I guess like, you know, going off of uh Jim guys that are really excellent right up for you for y'all for Thanks, uh, Jim. for Bandcamp and I think he kinda likened house arrest as kind of the, the spiritual uh predecessor to, to Chew. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. Is that At least- sonically or is it just because, you know, it's it's you and, and Russell and I um, mean it, it, it's both. I mean that was the first like punk band that i was like straight up punk band that i was in Mm -hmm. since high school yeah and that that was like the third attempt to start that band that i had when Uh i was actually older because that's what what i i've been wanting to play because i didn't play guitar for years in Uh bands i just did you were just playing bass right i I did and vocals i only i did mostly did vocals and then i did start i only played bass in great deceivers because max like was like will you please do it and i was like yes okay Uh i love your music Uh but at the time i was like i don't want to write anything blah blah which is obviously way different now but right um but i knew that i if i I wanted to play guitar in a punk band and um that was kind of the first one and then it didn't last very long Uh uh-huh because we already knew that we were going to be moving kind of yeah um was it just that was it like you want to go somewhere as far as moving goes like max was coming up here and he kind of wanted to continue to do great deceiver stuff and it gave you a good excuse to come up I think so. I think I was just ready to leave. And then, you know, our drummer in Great Deceiver at the time, Josh, he was he was just in a bad place and was he was really ready to get out. Uh-huh. And at the time, I think we had aspirations of trying to be like more a more serious band again where we hadn't been for a while where we were, you know, we were hoping that we could kind of do what other bands who are peers we're doing which is you know right. touring a lot more and mm-hmm. making records and and uh that's kind of that was kind of the the goal for coming here you know and is it and you you come up you come up to chicago you're like great deceivers we'll, we'll take it seriously mm-hmm. um is there anything else that that you got that you got going on at that time i know knife hits is still happening right some of those people are in philly too yeah half of them uh-huh and they're all in other bands as well mm-hmm. which has kind of always been the problem with knife hits right it's it's a band that no one fully commits to uh-huh but it's more than capable of you know doing really cool shit and i think when we first moved here part of it was part of it is because we're all we we did some of the craziest tours with that band yeah you know, we did tours that were 60 plus days and just it's insane yeah you know and like we we're booking ourselves and uh-huh. doing that stuff and I don't know. I think we were all just very close and tight knit. The plan, the plan was to always kind of try and do it long distance. And when we first moved here, we did that. Um, I had a, cause even though I play bass, I write a, a lot of the guitar for it. Uh huh. And John plays drums. So him and I would 
jam here and then send videos of the stuff to Jake and Ant in Philly. And they'd learn it, and then they'd send us riffs, and we'd learn it. And then right. John and I both worked for, uh, like, um, app delivery jobs at the time. Like, well, oh, I sure. did Instacart, he did Lyft. Yeah. And it's back when they would, like, let you work in other cities, where now it's much more difficult to do that. Oh, um, okay. I mean, you still can. I think it's, it's not like you can just sign in the app and just start working. Right. So we both did that stuff. So we would go to Philly for, we were once there for almost a month, like, uh-huh. writing the record. And you're just... You're just working while you're there. Yeah, we drove his car there, and, like, mm-hmm. you know, I, it'd be funny. I'd be, while Jono was doing Lyft in the morning, uh-huh. I, me and Jake would be, me and Jake and Ant would be learning riffs, and yeah. then Jono would come home from work <laughs> and, like, learn the riffs, and then that night or the next day I'd come back after, you know, doing whatever deliveries I was yeah. doing, and then we'd, like, work on the song. Uh-huh. And that's pretty much how we wrote that record. Um, and we, we did a couple of tours. I think that was the plan with that band, too. Like, all right, let's fucking hit it hard let's mm-hmm. let's you know because it's a good band and we were like let's yeah let's try and make this happen other right. bands do it uh-huh and obviously it's logistically so difficult it just costs so much money for sure um but we i think we had a good go at it i mean we're we're, we're still a band i know yeah. we haven't talked about doing anything since uh, it's been over a year and a half now we uh-huh. put out a record in 2016 which we spent a lot of money and time on uh-huh but it was a, i'm really glad we did Sounds fantastic. Thank you. That's John a really Newman good record. That and he's yeah, he's the fucking man. He's so awesome to work with and uh-huh. yeah. I'm, I'm. I mean, he definitely did did us some some big favors. Like there were some there. I mean, he was. I think he was surprised that we were as together as we were. But also he he definitely like fixed some stuff that we couldn't play. Yeah. Until after we heard the record, uh-huh. like there was a couple of tracks that are like spliced pretty heavily. Yeah. yeah just because yeah. we they're. Insane. I'll tell you what, I didn't notice. Yeah, no one does. Uh-huh. But still, I think for for <laughs> us, it's more. Like, well, it's nice. It's nice when you have someone that's just like, all right. Well, here's the thing: yeah. like, we have to get this like yeah. right, especially and if he, my name's gonna go. Yeah, on and it. he spent a lot of time like doing that. But he also like, I don't know, he's just a really good person to work with. And yeah, that was it was a cool thing. I'm glad that we did it, and then we did like a tour with Yaucha, who are our buds. Uh huh. Last, I guess it was two years ago almost now, but that was like our. We went down to Florida to play the fest down there, and that's right. the last thing we did. Um, so Chu starts though with like a lot of intentionality, a kind of a focus to essentially like make do on what you've been talking about a lot with just like the all right, we're gonna do this thing and we're gonna we're gonna put a lot into it. We're gonna work mm-hmm. really hard. Yeah, Chu starts you know with the same thing, but it, it didn't. It, it, it wasn't really that at first though. Uh-huh. At first it was like let's just have a punk band, right? And like maybe we'll play some shows or like we'll do a tour. Uh huh. And then it just kind of, kind of just started happening. Like at the time, we there was a friend of ours, well friends of ours, band in Florida called False Punk, mm-hmm. and uh, they were wanted to do a West Coast tour. Okay. Before they broke up, they knew they were going to break up. They were. Yeah. They had started once we had moved out of Orlando. Uh huh. And they were fantastic and it was they were like one of three bands that had started like in the year or two after we left and their drummer was really flaky even though he was he was kind of essential to the band at first right and he's also awesome and still makes music but i think he just was kind of done with he at least he said he was done playing heavy music uh-huh and um so they were already playing on this this west coast tour and they asked Jono to drum for them for the tour yeah he's like well what about you just goes and we'll just take our van uh-huh and we'll come pick you guys up in florida oh it's perfect so then we did that in our uh-huh. first, first tour this band was a three week west three and a half week west coast tour well it's wild had the demo even come out yet 
Yeah, it came out uh, three months. Oh, okay. It's been out for like three months. Uh-huh. Yeah. And when, I'm going to refer back to the to the uh, Jim Guy's article again, but he, he's, there's a quote in there that I found pretty enlightening that the idea is crass played faster by California punks. That's that's how me and Russell would probably try and describe it. That was a freaking light bulb, especially like listening to the demo where it's like, oh damn, this is like straight up like 1981. There's a lot more going on to it, but it's like, oh, that's the sound. Yeah. But Crass is like, uh, you know, Crass is such an interesting band because I think that they're one of the, were well, they're one of those bands that you hear early on, but they're like a fucking institution. They're one of those bands that's like, well, this is a whole lifestyle. The music's only a part of it. Yeah. The music for them is a, it's a vessel for their message. Yeah. Which is what I liked about them when I was younger. I actually d- didn't really like the music like when I was younger. I thought it was cool. Uh-huh. And I liked, you know, obviously I liked and agreed with what I was hearing as far as what they have to say. Right. And the values. And it kind of tied in the time when I was like thinking more about my personal beliefs politically and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. etc but it wasn't until you know four or five years ago when vivek who's the drummer of house arrest he was uh-huh. you know he's like we were talking about and i just kind of told him the same thing he's yeah, like, yeah he's like no we're gonna get really high uh-huh. and listen to just listen to these fucking yeah. chord progressions yes yeah. and like it's it's so wild like they are so fucking out there and i i used to i've heard people say it since then too where people are like oh well it's they're not musicians like yeah but that's not really the point and also some of the shit they're doing is insane it's so crazy it's so fucking high art yeah. but it's also like it's it's and that kind of describes, vinegar kind of describes dumb. Like penny rimbal too like that's yeah i watched a like a there's a like a keynote speech that he did he did on youtube which uh-huh. is pretty interesting but <laughs> it's like totally like you tell he's like he's you know he's he's comes from like a highbrow yeah that guy loves artist. ornette coleman yeah yeah, I mean, now he does, like, spoke, spoken word uh-huh. poetry over jazz music. So yeah. it's a natural progression, I guess. Uh-huh. But, yeah, I mean, that was, that was I mean, for House Arrest, too, it wasn't as much of a goal. I, I mean, me and Josh, who was, who was the singer, we knew that we wanted to play, like, California-style punk. But uh-huh. also we loved, like, we loved, like, garagey, you know, 60s stuff, too. Yeah. So there's that, I think House Arrest had a bit more of that. But then, at least when, when me and Russell started talking about it, we were like, you know. 80s west coast punk uh-huh played like playing anarcho shit which i think they're already like sonically kind of similar anyway right i mean you look at like uh you look at like dead kennedys or something mm-hmm. like that it's just like this like high concept sort of you know yeah already punk but yeah with uh just dirtiness yeah, to it dead kennedys is, is i think similar too because it's very it's intentioned mm-hmm. you know you what? go for that, right? That's that's that seems to be something that you latch onto. I think it's like yeah. very intentional message and like because there's I think that there's an element to chew that's that's similar to Crass and like Dead Kennedys in in that way is that it's wow. it's part of a <laughs> it, it, it's it's part of a bigger thing. There's there's a weight uh, I think certain certainly to like I don't want to use the term branding, but branding. Of yeah, I mean chew. that's that was that. I, I can say that, that at least for me and Jono, having talked about that and being other bands together, mm-hmm. we're like, let's make this one. We have a logo. And yeah. Like, let's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it is also funny that it has to be that way. Right. But I think it's, that's what 
Crass and Dead Kennedys were doing. It's well, the same thing. You see that, and then uh-huh. you, you know what it means. You know what it stands for. I think that there's an interesting thing that happens with uh, bands that you kind of you latch on to a certain feeling that you get from them that there's that there's more to it than just writing seven inch mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, just bands that you, it sounds silly, but integrity for me is like, is one of those where integrity just has like a whole aura to them. And maybe it's, sure. a, it's got a lot of like the history element to it, but also just like the presentation of just like, this is its own canon. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I think, I mean, there's a, there's a few bands that come to mind that are definitely like that where you like, you you instantly know you just zone in yeah. on something that you don't even know you just feel mm-hmm. um so tell me about bringing doris in um well i i had only met her like times when we had hung out drunkenly uh-huh. a couple of times um uh, when john jono was we moved up here he was here for not even a year and then he went to california he used to work out there seasonally uh-huh and then he was in Philly, and he stayed in Philly for a couple months, and then he decided to come back here. Yeah, I think that's the timeline. And uh-huh. then he's, he was working at this this dog daycare, um, where some where some other friends of ours from Florida were working too, and uh, met Doris, and they became friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, he actually lived in her old apartment the first time that he lived here. He lived in her old room, but oh, they didn't okay. realize that. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I, we had already been talking about starting this band once he moved back. Uh-huh. Russell and I had already been working on like writing something. We didn't know, we didn't know who was gonna play drums yet, and then right. he said he was moving back. I'm like, okay, awesome. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and uh, he kind of brought it up to us like, I think uh, I think Doris should try out. I'm like, cool, Doris seems awesome. And uh, we had jammed a couple of times. I think actually we'd been jamming for like a month before she came. Uh huh. And she kind of just showed up. We're like, so what do you want to do? And she's like, we can try that first song if you want. We're like, do you already have lyrics? She's like, I think so. Mm -hmm. And she just kind of sang it. And we're all kind of like, all right, you want to do another one? Yeah. She's like, yeah, let's do do that third song. Had she sung in a band band before? No. She'd never been in a band before. Uh Uh-huh. I think she she said, I mean, she's she's, is musical. I mean, she plays the guitar pretty well. And I think she's tried to, I think she kind of played one show with a band filling in for someone sometime. Mm -hmm. But I don't think she she's never played a sh- like played a show right and she definitely hadn't done vocals in a band before uh-huh. but she you know again i'm pretty sure she was in choir when she was younger uh-huh. and like she you know, oh yeah she you isn't just some that, she right. isn't just like some yeah. random like but it's still fucking yeah. wild yeah it's insane that it's and especially just that that feeling of like you know you're all sort of aware that it's working yeah right and away like, i mean me as a vocalist certain things come naturally to me and other things don't uh-huh. um and i think for me, writing vocal patterns was never my strong suit as yeah. a vocalist. Yeah, I could deliver well uh-huh. or sing other people's patterns, but writing my own, I just never was particularly creative with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember the like, first time I like actually acknowledged one of the patterns she's doing. I was like, "That is insane!" Yeah, like and like her timing is her timing is crazy, and it almost like someone else was like she's basically like rapping, like the way that she like places things over the beat too. And the mm-hmm. way that things rhyme, it's it's really, it's dude. Really insane. I, yeah, especially like in the earliest recordings where she's like back in the mix a little bit, mm-hmm. and she's just got that like high mm-hmm. scream going. It's amazing what she's able to like get in there 
onto the beats. And I think it's like kind of a fun progression with, you know, going into Feeding Frenzy where she's like now on top and her her mm-hmm. depth of her, her voice is just so much more vast and how she's carrying that in a whole different way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I was uh, I didn't know like how she because a lot sometimes you know sometimes when you practice you can't always hear the vocals and then yeah. like, sometimes you can and it's great uh-huh. and I didn't I didn't I wasn't quite aware of how dynamic it was going to be until we started recording it. Yeah, I know like part I mean she still does the high stuff. I think partly partly it's just that shit is just hard to do all mm-hmm. the time. And then you know especially playing live when you're a singer in a punk band you can hardly hear yourself. It's you almost like have to find a way to make yourself be heard exactly. for it's, your own sake. And like just you're going to shred your vocal cords. So I think she kind of – she still does that, but it's more like – it's much more varied now, which I think like uh-huh. when those like high screechy moments come back, you yeah. like earn them. Right. You know, and then she – Right. And it's like skin curdling. Uh-huh. You know. Coming out of the demo, you do split with Penetrode, mm-hmm. and then you do a split with Rash, and it's – interesting to listen to the penetrode split coming off of the demo where it's like these are so catchy these songs just have hooks Mm -hmm. all four of them are just like oh damn like you know they're going down this lane where it's like you know it's not pop but it's it's definitely those four songs are pretty pretty poppy and then the rash split is so dirgy and dark in comparison they're all written at the same time that's my same, question. Same recording session. So, so it's like it's like all right, we do this split where we're just our poppiest selves, and then we do this split where it's just like all right, we're just gonna hit them with as much darkness as we possibly yeah. can. <laughs> well, there's but there's also like on the rash side, there one of our songs is pretty surfy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's yeah. Which, that's the second one, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. That song is it's groovy almost, as fuck. It's, yeah, it's almost like uh-huh. a weird JFA song. Yo, but that, like, the Penetrode split is just, like, that's so fucking catchy and poppy. And almost, like, you know, you look at where you are now, it's it's sort of, like, it's fun, like, small releases, I think, like, give you that opportunity to yeah. just, like, do a thing and do it well and then be done with it. Mm-hmm. I know, I mean, I don't, the you know, it wasn't planned that way either. Uh-huh. It was just, like, what happened at the time. And I think two of the songs were on the Rash split were written before any of those songs on the Penetrode split. Uh-huh. Um, and it was just kind of like whatever we were you know, coming up with at the time. But, yeah, it, it feels dumb to, like, be like, oh, we have to write songs that always sound like this particular thing. Right. And also, like, splits are very out of vogue, you know. I hate that. Well, Wally hates them, too. Uh, no, I don't hate splits. I hate that they're out of vogue. Oh, oh yeah, well, but Eric from Rash, uh-huh. he, he has told me multiple times, like, I hate splits. And, like, he's... Let, let, let me tell you something about Wally. <laughs> he was in here last week. I'm just, like, I'm, like, just trying to break through that guy with a hammer. Yeah. And then he's just, like, he's yeah. He's complicated, man. Oh, he's so complicated. <laughs> he's the best, though. Well, I love that he, after, you know, he's told me multiple times that he hates splits, and we still did a split together. Uh-huh. I, I feel like I feel like we won. <laughs> Um, I just I feel like here's the here's the thing about about your band is that you use small releases to build this anticipation for the LP and I think that it's something that people should take and they should look at it a little bit more because everybody just wants to do LPs now 
Mm-hmm. That's it's they all just want to do a piece. It's like give me three songs that are really good and get me excited about your LP. Don't just drop your LP. Yeah. Hardcore does it. The rest of the rest of them need to pay attention. I think. Yeah, that's a big problem of mine in the indie rock world, which yeah. I'm also, you know, a pretty big part of. Same. Le- le- you know, less than I used to be. I still go to shows and stuff, but I am generally I generally find a lot of that to be unsavory. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole thing ties into it, and it's it like it, it's everyone just a bit too serious about the you know the next thing it's like you don't have to just just record two songs put it out right you know doesn't have to be and i think part of something a part of like some larger statement but also i think it's we're also at a pretty crucial time for you know underground music and especially that because everything is it's such a high turnover rate Mm -hmm. so and people don't you know it's 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 rare that someone makes a whole album that you you know we were stoked on the whole album yeah you know? and like i like you were saying like i think you shouldn't rush to make to do that if you there's nothing wrong with just making three songs and on a cassette tape because it half the time when you pl- like at, le- at least in my opinion most people aren't buying records and tapes at a show they're buying a t-shirt uh-huh and that's just the way that it is yeah um and so you know if it's going to be that accessible online why not just Let's make it just, short. Yeah, yeah. Just, just uh-huh. make it available and make it, make it heard because it's going to be forgotten about in three months. You know, mm-hmm. and mo- most likely. And, and I, I think that it's also extremely expensive to make LPs. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, as it should be. It's, it's a, a natural resource that you is know, being yeah, exploited just, uh-huh. somewhere, and it costs a lot of <laughs> costs a lot of money. So it's right. like if you're gonna waste you know don't waste those resources by by just being like flippant about like oh i guess we're gonna make an lp so when you're like when you're like all right i'm gonna make this lp then you're thinking about all right we got to think about the modern state of vinyl and how it's how it's being <laughs> taken in and how it's maybe, being maybe that's just maybe that's just me well i i think that there's a lot of thought that does go into making this record because you know i took it's funny we're talking about indie rock because i took two months off here because i was just like I don't care. I don't, I just don't want to know about like what the new thing is. I do it. I do it all the time. You know, but I felt like, I I felt like I had to because I was doing this and I wanted Mm -hmm. to, if, if I'm doing this, I want to be excited about it. Yeah. And I don't want any sort of like where I don't want it to show in any way that I'm like tired. So it was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to listen to anything except what I ended up listening to was a fucking lot of hardcore and hardcore. It's always so gratifying. It's so gratifying. You know what though? It's tough to make a good hardcore LP. Yeah. It's really hard. I check out really quickly. Um, but this one, when I listened to it for the first time and this was an experience that I shared with Jim when I saw him, I'm listening to it and I'm like, yeah, this is good. And then it's just like starting to get better better and i'm by the end of it i'm just fucking anticipating how this record is gonna end (laughs) i'm not just blowing smoke yeah no yeah i i don't think we knew how it was gonna end for a while either Uh uh-huh we had all these songs like how the fuck are we gonna end this right but were you writing like 
tell me how the writing process like went for it because it feels like just with the way that it's sequenced that there's just a lot of thought and how we're pacing things and well the way that it started was just we just had new songs and i don't know um i write a lot of the guitar riffs i mean russell and doris and jonna have all written guitar riffs too Mm -hmm. um so when we first started writing because those penetrate and rash songs we had written those before we left for our first tour. Okay. We came back from, our, and we were playing all of, at least five of them on our first tour. Uh-huh. So we came back from our first tour and recorded it re- immediately after. So if you think about it then, that was 2016 when those songs were recorded. Mm-hmm. So, you know, three of these songs on the LP, we've been playing since, or we learned them in October of 2016. So it's just kind of like, the, there was the goal of having an LP but just kind of like writing songs. Uh-huh. And then uh, as it pro- progressed, I just, it, I don't know, it, it didn't seem thought out until it started. we started to have more. Uh-huh. And then I think that's when we started to think about it more and like how we could tie things together. So and, what, were the, what were the pieces that kind of came towards the end? I'm guessing the belly up was a... That's actually one of the first riffs. Get out. That was a riff that we like... The, like just the dun, main annoying dun, riff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was a riff that we had around the time um, when we first started writing new songs and we jammed on it a couple of times. It didn't go anywhere. Uh huh. But it was just like this. Well, un- that's the point, right? Yeah. And it's just like this annoying, <laughs> like this annoying, like fun thing to play and practice. Yeah. And at the time, it's um, this, this band, Vivian K. Do you know that you know those kids? Right, yeah, yeah. You did so uh, from, vivisections. Yeah, right? I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I did play on that album. I forgot. Uh-huh. Um, and then yeah, those I do are my research. Those album. are yeah, and those uh-huh. are really good friends too. But they, you know, at the time they were all living in Margaritaville, mm-hmm. and I think it's the only time when like because Jesse and Danny's rooms were right there. And it's the only time where I think it was it was maybe Danny was just like, dude, this riff <laughs> is driving me crazy. Uh, and then we kind of just like shelved it for a while. Uh huh. Um, I don't know. I was it, that song kind of just ended up like kind of just happening I yeah like was playing it one night and uh-huh like kind of came up with some more stuff for it because at first it, at first it was just going to be that stupid riff yeah the whole song uh-huh which i'm really glad it's well not. i mean russell's pretty much playing it the entire time right he he he's at least playing the rhythm uh-huh he's not always playing the same notes but he's pretty yeah. much playing that i mean the whole song is it doesn't change either it the the notes change right so that was kind of what we wanted i mean russell also has a degree in music composition, you know, which he's shy about and doesn't, yeah. you know, he's not a, a person to flaunt anything. Uh-huh. Um, but I think the way that he thinks about constructing music is really interesting. And he, him and I have, we have spent time talking about like, if you think about a song going into another song, like a chord change, uh-huh. you know? So if you imagine like, like one song ending on a, on an A and your next song starting in a D sharp, you're sure. doing a triad change, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then you could do your next song going up whole step from that, which is... Because what? F- how do you do Mr. Nice to fucking Daily Affirmation? That fucking track change is my favorite thing that's <laughs> happened in music this year because every time I put both hands up, just like, oh, yeah <laughs> fucking ready right that's so that's because it feels like that i had a question you know about that in, 
in uh, specific terms of you know do those you are the write two these oldest songs, songs together. Oh, okay. those are the two oldest songs. Uh-huh. But that you know that change happens because you end here and start here, mm-hmm. and you know belly up. You hear that dom dom at the mm-hmm. end of the of the track before, which I don't have the track listed in front of me. Yeah, but that's, that's cool that you picked up on that. Yeah. Well, I listen to this yeah. thing a lot, my friend. Because that part is kind of hidden in there. Uh huh. That little outro thing. Well, so, so yeah, cool. it's one of those things that you pick up on fourth or fifth listen. Yeah. There just feels like there's so much thought that's being put into this. I, and so I think some some of it was an accident, and some of it is definitely like the for the song that Daily Affirmation um goes into, mm-hmm. which used it used to have a long slow intro. Yeah. And that the the long slow intro that didn't make it on the record, which I'm happy about, that chord progression is used in like three songs. Oh, okay. And that's on purpose. Yeah. And there and that's something that Russell and I had talked about doing before, like that we thought would, would be cool in any band we're in. Like we've done it with Great Deceivers before yeah. too, where there's like a thing, thing that happens. A thing yeah. that happens and it's like a Is that something that you pick up from just like, you know, musical theory or is that something that you're it might like, be for i mean for him it probably is uh-huh um you're I mean, like i, I don't you have know, any I like I pink floyd records and, yeah. and they got shit like that going yeah on i don't have any right? i don't have any theory uh-huh. yeah. knowledge at all uh-huh um i mean i think well that's not true i have i've learned as i've gone but i don't have any like right. training or anything uh-huh um so it's just sort of like building blocks it's the yeah. idea of like all right this is if this is going to be a part of a like a large thing if it's going to be taken that way there needs to be thought put into it more than just here's 12 songs on two sides yeah which i think it ended up being like 15 which is insane uh-huh and some of them were written like later on and we had um some we kept giving ourselves deadlines we wanted to do it and our initial deadline was it was going to be december of last year when we were going to record it uh-huh. I'm really glad we waited the extra three months to do it because we spent a lot of time like just almost doing like arbitrary things to kind of see like which which way would something would sound better. Uh-huh. And there's a few tweaks that were made. And also that song, uh, Repeat Offenders, was the last song that was written for the record. Okay. Um, and I like that song a lot and yeah, I'm glad yeah. that we waited so, so that one could go on there yeah absolutely um, that because that fucking that makes sense the first half of that record just it just like bounces you know and that's something that like because when i when i saw that crass quote i was listening to I had a nice like hour and a half of just like starting from the front with crass mm-hmm. and they have a way of just like they attack in so many different ways whether it's just like you know just boom or it's like a long noise passage that goes into something mm-hmm. or it's spoken word and lots of lots of like very you know they do the repetitive rhythmic thing mhm constantly yeah um which you know i think people have been stealing for years but it's it works you know it definitely Make does people listen to what you're saying but but I like how in the first half it it all happens so quickly, and then when you get to feeding frenzy parts one and two, it's just slow, and that's mm. kind of that kind of marks the second half is like, all right, this is going to be a little bit different. This is kind of like where the and that wasn't whole that, thesis. that that wasn't intentional either because we wrote I 
asked if we could write a song like that be- so when we play live i could have something to tune over uh-huh because i never you know try and play without stopping yeah but it's we've only played it like three or four times live and i don't think we're really gonna start well you should i know i think we will but it's just funny that it, it, in, <laughs> it at least from where i was coming from with it it, it, it you know it wasn't intended to be like a i wanted it to be on the record yeah but i wanted us to play it live so we could have 20 seconds to tune my guitar after mm-hmm. like six songs yeah <laughs> and now i just don't and it's it's fine but it's just funny because it wasn't i think uh, yeah it just kind of ended up being in the same key it seems like you all had like a lot that you just like put into like crafting the thing and like when you get in there and you're working with matt russell does fantastic work yeah Um, so sick when you when you get to that last section of belly up is it like all right this is gonna go for a long time and we want to put a lot of shit on top of it what do you think we should put on top of it or was the saxophones like was that in the bank did you know that that's what you were gonna do (laughs) did you know that you were gonna make like 18 tracks of saxophones or (laughs) well that part wasn't recorded Uh uh-huh Russell, who so yeah, right. So I I just put over Matt Russell so hard here, and then you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna tell me, well, that's well, the one thing that he didn't do for this. Yeah, there's there's a I'm there's a, sorry, there's Matt. a good story that goes. I think sorry, that, Matt. I think you do a great job. Matt, you love you. He well, he he. I mean, he put up with listening to that song for enough time. I mean, that song like after I would so didn't want to hear it for weeks. Yeah. after playing it, and but it was really fun recording that part with him because I did get to do two different guitar tracks and on the second guitar track added uh a certain type of chorus pedal that i used to use but i don't use it live anymore and it the harmonics that it created Mm -hmm. on that song were insane and i remember we were all listening to it being like this sounds like an insane machine Uh like it was so and so that was cool and there i think i think he maybe played some tambourine or something on it. Yeah, yeah. Like we've added a lot a lot of bunch of really dumb shit. But uh-huh. the saxophone, there's a funny story with that because Russell was mixing at Palette. Mm-hmm. Um uh-huh. and I went there to and he was working on the drums and I went there to meet him after work and he was sitting there like you know, there's only the lamp on in the mic control room. The rest of the studio is dark and we're we're there and kind of like listening to drum sounds and stuff and guitars a little bit. And he's like, oh, yeah, I recorded the saxophone today. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, let me hear it. And then the first time I heard it was the way that it is on the record. Uh-huh. So I'm just like, oh, my God. And he was he did that all by himself. Like Jesus he, Christ. Like he, he like would just do one track and uh-huh. then press play again and just start doing it. Uh, so And he's just very nonchalant. Like, oh, I've just like made these horrible awesome sounds right. alone in a room i just took i just, took, I, just took, I just took our our <laughs> incredibly good thing and just put it up well, on okay. a new level yeah have you ever heard uh grim reaper by siege no it's the last song on on a their one lp uh-huh and uh it also has a really annoying song yeah the saxophone at the end fuck yes and that's i think that was jono's idea mm-hmm. with that song where it's like we should just do yeah. this because uh-huh that's like a fucking right. You know, paying homage to some shit that we all love, and it just sounds eerie. Yeah, it as does. Hell. Yeah. The, I it, it's it's a really impressive piece of work. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. Iron Lung is putting it out. And that mm-hmm. has to be a, a nice little friggin' badge of uh, pride. 
It's cool. It's uh, it's the first time I've ever we've I've ever been in any band that have just emailed the record or emailed them saying, "Would you want to do our LP?" Uh huh. And then he just Jensen asked for some like demos. Yeah. Um, which we had some kind of being mixed at the time, and then he was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And then yeah. it's kind of like, "That's never happened before." Uh- <laughs> no, like I've never been. I mean, I've had a very difficult time in most bands I've been in getting a label to put out something right it's difficult and it's also sure. like we said earlier it's financially arduous so if they're not feeling it they're not doing it yeah um so that was a really i don't know it was definitely i think morale boosting for us even though like neck shop who put out our other seven inches and tom uh who put out um the rash seven inch mm. both of them had expressed wanting to do it which is cool i think just wanting to you know it's the it's also the name and also, he puts out great records, and they have really awesome distribution, which yeah. we didn't have. With those. Not that we didn't have any, but you know, mm-hmm. doing it with them is—it's definitely a step up. So that's that's cool, and it, it feels good for it to be have a good home. Feels like you have the opportunity to try and go out and and do it and and take a another step. Is that is that something you've all talked about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean like touring and stuff yeah yeah just like being i mean i feel like you're you're definitely a temple of chicago right now and you know there's there is that and then then there's like going and freaking doing fests and shit like that i don't know know. if that will happen i mean we don't we i mean maybe it will and that i think we're open to we're open to anything i think mostly we just want to like try and go to places that we haven't already been Mm -hmm. and you know it's cool to have that opportunity and i think it if you if you if you do kind of take your time and do it it's i think it's possible for any band now it's easy it's easier to go overseas now than it ever has been yeah i mean there are some bands that i know who like don't tour the states anymore they just tour europe because they have a better time Mm -hmm. and they do it once a year right you know and that's awesome and i i i think I've definitely been envious of my peers who have got to do that, uh, you know, especially the past like five or so years where it's like, damn, y'all are doing that again? Uh I want to go. I want to go. go. I want to go go. one time. You get to go how many times? Yeah, I want to go. So, I mean, yeah, I think that's just like, that's what I like about touring is that you get to go do this one thing you love and see a different place every day. It's not always the most glamorous view of that place as far as like what you get to see it's generally i mean it's a lot of times you just you see the inside of a van yeah but like venue, but at least four awesome things will happen to you at least four uh. <laughs> at least four <laughs> and i'll get to eat the best food yeah always. definitely so that's cool and uh i'm you know i'm excited about the potential of that because that's something that, that like when con broke up uh our drummer who was the same drummer in great deceivers at the time uh-huh we were had just started booking our European tour. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want to do it anymore. Like, fuck. Well, we, we get, I mean, he, he he was irreplaceable. You can't, yeah. you can't, in that band. And he started the band and it was just like, all right, it's over. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's always looming. You know, it's like, cool, maybe we can, maybe we can do it this time. That sounds like a fun thing to do. Well, I hope. Yeah. I certainly hope. And I, and I hope that this, this is received, uh, you know, as well outside of here. As it is here, because I think that y'all are y'all are a band that that people are really pulling for. That's awesome. 
appreciate anyone listening to it. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been great. Cool. Have a good time? Yeah. All right. Hey, wow. So much to digest in there. A wild, very real first third of it, followed by this arc of Ben being involved in a lot of great bands and finding one now that is firing on all cylinders. Ben thoughtful, creative, and a very sincere presence. He has himself spread into so many exciting bands. Chew among many And this one, this band right here, has put together a record that I urge you to check out. It is an unbelievably well-crafted piece of work. Dynamic, heavy, profound statement of an LP. So happy to have Ben over to break things down. Appreciate his openness, too. It's tough sometimes to want to ask a question more than once, but not wanting to feel pushy. So it was nice of Ben to open up and to share it very grateful for it check out you online chew punks that's p-u-n-x punks dot bandcamp.com knife hits is knife hits 23 dot bandcamp.com great deceivers is great deceivers dot bandcamp.com subscribe to this podcast this podcast right here on apple Podcasts, stitcher tell a friend about the show we're on bandcamp better yet podcast.bandcamp.com the website is better yet pod.com like us on facebook you can send me a message on there email is better yet podcast at gmail.com listen to as you were a podcast about alkaline trio where we are in the middle of god damn it month and don't forget my other show, Postmarktum, Meta Perspectives in Professional Wrestling. And thank you so much. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Chloe and Lily. Had a thought to end with Grim Reaper on that callback tip. But this one, this one is for the happy couple. Love to you both. Come back next week. Thanks, brothers. If I were the sun, way up there. I'll go with love most everywhere I'll be the moon when the sun goes down Just to let you know that I'm still around That's how strong I love you That's how strong I love you Oh.
Oh, it's so much more. 